Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. It's good to be with all of our listeners who are wanting to be in God's Word and study His Word further, learn a little bit more, dig a little bit deeper, and thereby grow in their faith, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. We're thankful to have the opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. We podcast a Sunday morning Bible class and a Wednesday night Bible class for those who cannot be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Now, that's not just the people in the Omaha area who are not able to be with us, but it's those who listen across the country and literally around the world. We're thankful that people want to be in God's Word. They want to learn more. And so we're thankful that we have the opportunity to be here with you through these podcast Bible studies and help you come to a better understanding of God's Word. We encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. You may help somebody grow in their faith. You may help somebody come closer to God. You may even help somebody ultimately get to heaven, and what a great blessing that will be for them and for you. So make that commitment. Start sharing today and every day with everybody you can. We're going to get back into our... Oh, and by the way, be sure to tell them and everybody, and you take, take advantage of this yourself, about our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. They can click on the podcast button, and they can sign up for our podcasting. It is always free, and they will automatically receive these Bible studies, Sunday morning Bible class, Wednesday night Bible class, but also all of our sermons and a daily radio program called Search the Scriptures, Monday through Friday, and a short, about a 13 or 14-minute Bible class every single day, seven days a week, that we call today's Bible class. All of that will automatically go to their smart device, and it will always be free. We're going to get back into our study in the gospel account according to John. Now, we're in chapter 5, and so, again, John's gospel account kind of stands alone. It's a different focus from the previous three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called the Synoptic Gospels, and they're pretty well parallel. But John, John's gospel account covers some other material, some other situations in Jesus's ministry. And so it's, you know, again, kind of stands a little bit unique from the other three gospel accounts. Now, in chapter 5, we pick up with verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. Well, remember, toward the end of chapter 4, Jesus was confronted by a nobleman who wanted Jesus to heal his son. And so Jesus told the man, your son is, is healed. I mean, the, the, the nobleman lived some distance away, and his son was back home, and he asked Jesus to come and heal his son. And uh, Jesus said he is healed. The nobleman on his way back home came across some of his servants, and they said, the fever's left your son. He asked him what hour it had left him, and they told him, and he knew that was the exact hour that Jesus said, your son is healed. Now, after this, so again, and Jesus, during his ministry upon this earth, those three years or so before he went to the cross, he went from place to place. He was with 
group after group. He, sometimes he was just with his apostles. Sometimes he might have been with a few individuals, but he would go from area to area. And so he had, he had been in, in Cana uh, in verse 46 of chapter 4, and that was where he performed his first miracle that is recorded for us in the scriptures back in the wedding feast. And so he's there again, and then he performs this miracle of healing the man's son when the son was not even in his presence. And so the, the closing verse of chapter 4 says, this again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Now again, chapter 5, picking up with verse 1, after this, so after that occasion, after that setting, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, probably this was the Passover feast, but it's not named exactly. Okay, now verse 2. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches, or more literally, the House of Mercy. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lamed, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, this is an intriguing description uh, given to us here, and we're given no more information than this, basically, that apparently there were a lot of sick and lame people who came to a certain pool, and um, they waited for an angel to come and stir the water, and whoever got into the pool first was healed of whatever the infirmity might have been or disease. Verse 5 goes on and says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. We stop and think about some people who have struggled with a particular illness, say, or maybe a physical handicap, but not just for a period of months or even a few years, but for maybe life. And if not life, maybe decades. This man had struggled with this particular infirmity for 38 years, 38 years. Now, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew, and the Greek indicates that it was instant knowledge for Jesus, and of course, while Jesus was here on this earth, he was in human form, and so he was fully human, but at the same time, he was still fully divine. And so he knew that the man that he already had been in that condition a long time. Well, indeed, 38 years. Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, there are a whole lot of people there, apparently, and we don't know if this was a stirring of the water that took place once a year or on a regular basis. We're just not given much information. And so Jesus asked the man, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the water. And when the water is stirred up, what, but, while I am, uh, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. And so the man says, I, I don't have anybody to help me into the water when the angel is stirred, or rather when the water is stirred by the angel. And so somebody else steps in before me, and they're healed, and, and I miss out again. I wonder how many times this man had been to this particular pool waiting for this particular opportunity. 
But Jesus is there now. He doesn't have to wait for an angel to stir the water. Jesus, again, being God the Son, he could heal people. And we're not talking about, we're not talking about praying over somebody and over a period of months, you know, they gradually get better. That's not the kind of healing that we see having been done by Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament accounts. We're talking about instant healing and, so, and complete healing. And so he asks the man, do you want to be made well or made whole? And the man says, well, you know, I, I, I'm just too slow. I can't get into the water in time. In verse 8, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, immediately again. He was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Now, this would have presented a problem for a lot of the Jews, probably themselves, generally speaking, but also for the Jewish leadership, because, of course, the fourth commandment, which incidentally is not carried into, the New, Te- into New Testament Christianity, that's only the only one of the original ten <clears throat> that, are, that, that is not carried into the New Testament Christianity, But that fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so it was forbidden for the people to work on that particular day, to do physical labor. It was to be a day to remember God, to remember the creation account. You'll go back to Genesis chapter 1 when he finished the creation. In six days, he rested on the seventh day, the text tells us. And so this was to be a day devoted to God. and to respect for God, remembering that he is God. So Jesus healing this man on the Sabbath day was going to be taken as a violation of that commandment, but it was not. And we have to stop and think about that. And we'll talk about that in a little more depth in a few moments. In verse 10, the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, in other words, this man who had been lame for or had been had, had this infirmity, suffered with it for 38 years, when they saw that he was cured, you know, they, they asked him uh, who made him well. They're, let's see, and walked, and, and that day was the Sabbath. I'm sorry, verse 10. I was back in verse 9. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It, is, it was not lawful. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Okay, so... This is where they begin to take exception. Jesus told the man, rise, take up your bed, and walk. He could leave there. He could take his bed back home with him. It's probably some kind of portable device. Uh, Maybe it was just a a mat, you know, or maybe it was just some bedding that he wound up and carried under his arm. I mean, we're not told exactly, but he was carrying it and probably going back home, almost certainly going back home. So, He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. So these, these, you know, Jewish authorities or these Jewish leaders, they they see the man carrying his bed and they say, hey, 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 what are you doing? It's not lawful lawful for you to carry your bed. And the man responds and says, well, he who healed me, and the sense is there, he who healed me miraculously, who had the power to heal me miraculously, he said, take up your bed and walk. <laughs> so he's speaking from a position of, if he had that authority and that power and that ability to heal me miraculously, 
I, who have been struggling with this infirmity for 38 years, I just assume he had the authority to tell me to take up my bed and walk, that it would be fine. Well, they said to him, verse 12, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. And so Jesus, he heals this man, and then he leaves. He did not tell the man who he was. And so when he's asked by these Jewish authorities, uh, who told you? Who was that man who told you to take up your bed and walk? The one who healed you? He says, I don't know. In verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, and he was probably there in the temple giving thanks to God for his healing. So afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more. Now, more literally, the Greek there is, do not keep on sinning. And so Jesus comes back. Now, first, he takes care of the man in his immediate physical need, and that certainly gets the man's attention. And that opens the door then for Jesus to help him in his most, in his even more important spiritual need, and that's sin, faithfulness to God. And so Jesus says, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, or literally do not keep on sinning, lest a worse thing come upon you. A whole lot of people, once they, well, they want God, and from one perspective, it's called kind of jailhouse jailhouse religion. And so somebody gets in jail, they suddenly start to get faith in God. They want God to help them. They, you know, pray to God. They take take all kinds of Bible correspondence courses and so on. Now that's good, but when they get out of jail, a lot of times they pretty quickly go back to their old way of life, sinful life, that contributed to them getting in jail in the first place. And so Jesus said, "See, you've been made well." He tells this man, "Don't do not keep on sinning." lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, what is the worst thing? Eternal condemnation in hell. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Well, that's, I would think that would be a good thing. Jesus and his power and his authority and ultimately the message of forgiveness and salvation through him having been sent from God with the gospel, that was being made known on a wider scale. Verse 16, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, let's stop and think here a little bit. He had done these things on the Sabbath. What did he do? He told the man to rise, take up your bed and walk healed the man. Did Jesus perform physical surgery? Did he pull out a scalpel? Did he start running the man through all kinds of physical therapy? Well, the answer to all of that, obviously, is no. What did he do? He healed the man. He told the man, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But the Jews, they found this as an offense they, they thought they considered this to be a violation of the Sabbath day law. And what was the Sabbath day law again? 
Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. No work was to be done on the Sabbath. What work did Jesus do in healing this man? Absolutely no physical labor. Jesus, again, fully divine. He simply pronounced the man, or through his divine power as God the Son, he simply healed the man. Now, he told the man to take up your bed and walk, but what was the real focus of the Jews? You see, they really missed the real lesson here. They, they saw what Jesus did. They considered that, I believe we're to understand, as a work, a work of healing. But there was no work being done in any kind of physical way. And then they considered when Jesus told the man to take up his bed and walk that that was a violation of the Sabbath. But who is Jesus again? And he continued to prove himself to be the fulfillment of the prophesied coming Savior or Messiah from the Old Testament scriptures. But the Jews became so narrowly focused, and we could go into some detail talking about how narrowly focused they were as to what could be done on the Sabbath day, that they saw what Jesus did in simply pronouncing the man healed, basically, as a violation of the Sabbath law. And then his telling the man, now, again, what should they have gotten from Jesus being able to heal the man? That he is God the Son, that he is divine. But I don't know if they just, that flew over their head, or they just ignored it, or they just plain did not see the message at all. But rather, they condemned Jesus for violating the Sabbath law. And what was their response? They persecuted Jesus, and they wanted to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, let me make a comparison to our Christianity today, to the gospel of Christ. Jesus told the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In other words, to all humanity, everywhere, throughout every generation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Now, the scriptures in the New Testament are clear, telling us that we are not saved by works, but that we are saved by grace through faith. But now, Jesus said that salvation comes at the point of being baptized, not before being baptized, but that only as we are baptized into him do we come to salvation. There are a great many people who call themselves Christians, who call themselves a part of a quote-unquote Christian church, who insist that baptism is not necessary for salvation, even though it is clearly taught as such repeatedly through the New Testament scriptures, because they say that is a work. Now, they're being about as narrow-minded in their focus and skewed in their focus 
as those Jews were on that day when Jesus healed that man who had suffered his infirmity for 38 years. Those Jews missed the point altogether. This was a miracle performed by the Savior come to earth, God the Son. But they simply focused on what they considered to be a physical violation somehow of the Sabbath day law. How in the world, and we're making this comparison, how in the world can being baptized possibly in your wildest imagination be considered a work, a physical work? The person being baptized is completely passive in that act of obedience. He's allowing somebody else to simply dip him below the surface of the water, bury him in those waters of baptism, and lift him back up. How in the world can that possibly be seen as a work? I had a man tell me one time, somebody pushes him down. Well, yeah, okay, somebody pushed him down. Um, the person being baptized didn't push him down. The person being baptized was totally, totally passive in that whole act of obedience. And we're not talking about building a, a house. We're not talking about swinging a hammer or pushing a saw. We're not talking about lifting a 50-pound weight and carrying it 50 feet down the, down the aisle or down the, you know, the road or something. We're talking about simply a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, surrendering completely and passively allowing someone to dip them below the water and pull them back up. How in the world can that be considered a work? But you see, those people insist that baptism is not necessary for salvation. And so you have to jump through all kinds of hoops. You've got to just imagine all kinds of twisted logic to explain away what the Scriptures say clearly, straightforwardly, and repeatedly. Baptism for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. Baptism to have your sins washed away, Acts 22.16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 16, 15 and 16. Baptism doth also now save us. 1 Peter 3, 21. Every single conversion account in the book of Acts results in the person being baptized into Christ for the remission of sins and salvation. There is no way to get around that message in the, New in the New Testament scriptures. But if you are determined, if you already have that, that predetermined, absolute dedication to being convinced and having to convince others 
that they don't have to be baptized to be saved, that they don't have to be baptized to be forgiven. They don't have to be baptized to get into Christ, and yet the only two verses in the entire New Testament that have that phrase, into Christ, preceded by the means of getting into Christ, are Romans 6 and verse 3 and Galatians 3 and verse 27, and both of those texts of Scripture say, baptized into Christ. But see, again, if you don't want to accept what the Scriptures plainly, clearly, and repeatedly say on the subject, then you skew your focus in some other direction, and you try in some illogical way to explain away what the Scriptures really do say. Those Jews, when that man said, the one who healed me, and then he told them who that man was, they, that was Jesus, they persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. They tried illogically to explain away the authority of Jesus to do what he had done, the power of Jesus to do what he had done, the identity of Jesus to do what he had done by focusing on something other than what, how he had done and why he had done and why he had the ability to do that. They missed the point completely. The Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah had come to earth and he had healed that man of a physical infirmity that he had struggled with for 38 years. But that just went over the head of those Jews. They focused on, he did it on the Sabbath day. They should have recognized that Jesus had authority over the Sabbath day. But they missed the point completely. And they did not believe in Jesus. In verse 17, Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath in their mind, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. What were they expecting the Savior to be? A mere man? Well, you see, Jesus did not fit the image of the Savior that they had in their mind, the Savior they wanted. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son of Man can, uh, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do, and whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. 
For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. And Jesus will come on that final day of judgment, and it will, will be before him that we will stand in judgment for how we have lived our lives. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. And Jesus went on in verse 23 and said that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Because the Father is God the Father. Our Savior is God the Son. We're talking about God. The Jews could not accept or would not accept that Jesus is God the Son. We're going to stop there. We'll pick up with verse 25 next time, uh, verse 24 rather, next time. So you can read ahead through the rest of chapter 5 and uh, you might have some thoughts in your mind as we get back to it next time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word to guide us. Father, help us to have clear eyes, clear vision, and clear understanding of what your word teaches, and help us to put away all prejudgment as to what we think it ought to say, and just accept and believe and obey what it actually says. And all to your glory, Father. Please help us in this and help everybody have this mindset, Father. Please be merciful with us. Please forgive us, gracious Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.